Hello and welcome to Wall Street Vision, a show that explores investment ideas from the best investors in history. I'm your host, Vlad. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. I may contain positions in the securities discussed on the podcast. In this week's episode, I want to go over a really important investing concept. This is something that is critical to understand before you think of investing in a business or before you start a business. Warren Buffett made this concept popular. I'm talking about the business moat. In medieval times, a lot of castles had a moat around them. The moat is basically a ditch filled with water that surrounds the castle. If an enemy were to try and attack the castle, they'd have a hard time because the moat is a safe barrier protecting the people inside the castle walls. So the moat is there for protection. Businesses also have moats. The moat for a business is a competitive advantage that protects market share for the business. Warren Buffett said, that he likes investing in companies where management is focused on protecting or increasing the moat of the business. In last week's episode, we explored how Warren Buffett used channel checks when he first bought American Express in the 1960s. In this week's episode, I want to go over another famous Warren Buffett purchase. I'm going to discuss Warren Buffett buying C's Candies. C's Candies is a great example of how powerful a moat can be in investing. Let's dive into this story. So this lady named Mary C. lived out in California in the early 1900s. She was tired of the cheap chocolate that was being sold everywhere, so she decided that she can do it better. Her mission was to make the highest quality chocolates. Mary worked like crazy out of her small kitchen to perfect a bunch of chocolate and candy recipes. She would get the highest quality ingredients, California almonds, Ozarkian walnuts, African chocolate, and so on. Her approach was to be the premium brand. Mary would make small batches, but they would be extremely well made. Mary and her son started her first candy shop in the 1920s, and they called it C's Candies. Word got around about Mary's chocolates, and the C's Candies brand had modest success. They ended up opening up a handful of local C's Candy shops. Now the key thing for the company was to maintain the highest possible quality for their candies and chocolates. For example, during World War II and the Great Depression, it was really hard to get butter, sugar, and cream. The company had a choice. They could either use low-quality ingredients to sell the same volume of chocolate, or they could stick with making the best possible quality chocolates, but in smaller batches. That's a tough business decision. They could have sold out for a quick buck, but instead they decided to stick to the high-quality approach. This meant some short-term pain because they'd make a small batch of chocolates, sell out of all of them, and then have to close the store for the day after they sold out. That's a commitment to your craft, knowing that there's higher demand, but producing less to maintain your high quality. Mary died and her son took over the family business. He grew the chain to over 160 stores. Now here's where Warren Buffett comes into the picture. He heard that C's Candies was for sale in the 70s. At first, he wasn't too interested, But the more he researched the company, the more he realized that they had a lot of really loyal customers and their brand was really, really strong. So Warren ended up buying C's Candies for six times earnings, paying about $25 million for it. In this episode, we're talking about business moats. So C's Candy is a good example because its brand makes for a very powerful moat. 
Let me give you a quick example. At one time, C's Candies tried to eliminate 14 out of 100 candies, and the company was flooded with tons of letters from angry customers. The customers loved those 14 candies and did not want C's to eliminate them. The company actually had to go back on their decision and apologize. That's an example of how loyal the customer base is. And it's also a great example of C's Candy focusing on their customers' needs and making sure that their customers stay satisfied. Loyal customers make it a point to buy their chocolate from C's Candies. Even though a competitor might have a similar tasting chocolate, C's customers are committed to the brand. This means that as long as the quality is maintained, they'll probably keep buying from C's Candies. So loyal customers are great because that also translates to profits. In the 10 years since Warren Buffett bought C's, the total of pounds of chocolate sold grew at a really modest 3% per year. So not much at all, but if you look at the profits, they increased by 19% per year. How did that happen? Well, Warren realized that customers would remain loyal even with price hikes every year. C's pretty much raised their price per pound of chocolate by about 10% per year, way above the rate of inflation. They did this because C's is not like a Mars bar. A Mars bar is something you buy for yourself to eat right now. When people go to C's to buy a box of chocolates, it's usually as a gift for somebody else. Since it's a gift, customers buy it less frequently, but when they do, they don't look at the price quite as closely, so a 10% year-to-year increase was manageable without getting customers pissed off. Back in the day, C's Candies was a really big part of Warren's portfolio, so he would really focus a lot of attention on it. And that's how he and Charlie were able to figure out how to make changes to the business to get more value out of it. If you listen to some of the older shareholder meetings where Warren talks about C's Candies, you understand that he really got to know the candy business quite well. Since his purchase 50 years ago, Warren Buffett was able to get over $2 billion of pre-tax income from C's Candies. And he, of course, used that capital to make other investments. So that initial $25 million had an incredible rate of return. The moat is what protects the business from competitors. For C's Candy, their brand loyalty is their moat. If you have a person who received a box of chocolates for a special occasion, there's sentimental meaning attached to those chocolates. So someone would keep buying C's Candies. They wouldn't go to another chocolate brand because the other brand doesn't have the sentimental meaning. I want to give you two other examples to illustrate this business moat concept a little bit more. These examples are from Investopedia, which is a great resource. Let's say you have a lemonade stand and you're competing against your neighbor, Jeff. You figure that if you order the lemons once a week in bulk, you'll be able to sell lemonade for a cheaper price than Jeff. That is a business moat, but it's not very durable because sooner or later, Jeff will see you carrying big boxes of lemons to your house and he'll figure that he can do the same thing. Now, let's say you invent a new machine that allows you to squeeze 30% more lemon juice out of each lemon. Well, now you can sell lemonade for cheaper than your neighbor, and if you have a patent on your machine, it'll take them a lot longer to find a way to compete with you. Having a better technology than your competitors can give you an advantage. The best case scenario is if the technology is protected by a patent and is hard to replicate. There's other different types of moats out there. Brand name is one type of moat. The C's Candies example shows that really well. Brands are super powerful. A strong brand can make a consumer keep purchasing the product over and over again. 
One example where you see this is the cigarette industry. Most smokers have a brand that they use, and they won't switch to another brand, so the brand name of a cigarette keeps the customer coming back. Companies have to be very careful to protect their brand. In the C's Candies example, if C's had produced candies with low-quality ingredients to squeeze a short-term profit, I'm sure the brand would have been really damaged and the loyalty of the customers would have vaporized. Switching costs are another powerful type of moat. Switching costs are basically what it's going to cost for you to switch services. Let's use a simple example. Let's say you have a checking account with a bank and you decide to switch banks. Now you won't have to pay any extra money out of pocket to switch banks, but your costs are the time that it will take you to set up your automated bill payments, payroll information, etc. Some software companies have huge moats in this area. If you've ever worked at a company and gone through a company-wide software change, you know how difficult the process is. There's tons of training, reduced productivity, and the actual cost of the software. Never mind the glitches that are going to happen and constant support that will be required down the road. So a company is usually not going to change the software unless there's a big advantage to doing it. Another type of moat is called scale. Scale is when you can deal with huge volumes. For example, if you operate a ton of stores in the US, then you can negotiate volume discounts when making purchases. That can be a big advantage. If you're the biggest player in a market, you can negotiate great deals for your business, which will allow you to pass on savings to your customers. That means you can provide your product or service at a cheaper price than your competitors. This is a powerful moat because it can be hard for your competitors to match your prices if you have the scale advantage. Another type of moat is called network effects. Network effects are popular today because a lot of tech companies get their high valuations by having this type of moat. This is popular today because some of the most valuable and quickly growing companies are tech companies. Network effect means that the total value of a network will increase with the more users that are using that network. So if you have two users, the value of your network is small because you can just talk to one other person over that network. Well, if you have a million users, now you can communicate with lots of people. So the network is a lot more valuable. A software that has a huge amount of users is very valuable. So we've talked about some types of moats for companies. Now, why is the moat so important? I want to break this down a little bit. A solid moat gives you a lot of time for your investment thesis to play out. Let's look at an example. Let's say Warren Buffett buys a business and let's say he's buying each share for $80 when he thinks the business true value is $100 per share. By the way, the true worth or the true value of the business is also called the intrinsic value. It usually takes time for the gap to close between the purchase price and the true value or the intrinsic value. If you buy into a business that has a very small business moat or a shrinking business moat, that gap between the price that you pay for the stock and the intrinsic value might never close. If the moat is shrinking, the business could just keep deteriorating which won't make investors want to buy into it. As an example, let's say you buy a coal company in a country that is rapidly putting up green energy infrastructure. You might be able to buy the coal company at $80 per share, even though it should be worth $100 per share at that very moment if you just looked at price multiples and the cash flows of the company. Maybe a year from now, the price drops to $50 a share and the intrinsic value drops to $80 per share. That's not a good scenario. 
So a shrinking business moat is like a melting ice cube. You might buy the business at a great price, but if the economics of the business are getting worse and worse, you can still end up with an investment that goes to zero. A strong moat that is either stable or growing ensures the business you buy can keep earning you profits for many years to come. As we discussed, having a moat protects you from competitors and lengthens the time horizon of this investment. So let's say there's a business that earns a return on capital that is higher than their cost of capital. That's a fancy way of saying that the business makes good money on each new project that it launches. If they have a wide moat, that's great because it means that the business will be able to keep making great returns for a long period of time. If the business mode is small or is shrinking, the business won't be able to make those great returns for a long time because competitors will come into their space and take customers. Another point that is often overlooked is the tax considerations of investments. When you buy a stock, you don't need to pay capital gains taxes until you sell the stock. If an investor is buying a company that has a wide moat, they won't need to pay tax for a long time. This allows them to keep compounding capital without taking a big chunk out to pay for taxes. And the last thing I want to mention is that doing the work on studying a business to invest in takes a ton of time and effort. An investor can easily spend a month researching a company before investing in it. If the economic moat is small or shrinking, they'll need to repeat this whole research process over and over again. It makes more sense to do all that research and pick a company with a wide or widening moat. That way the investor is just going to need to check in on the company once in a while to make sure that there's no red flags, but it's less likely that they'll need to sell off the investment and find an alternative to put their money in. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a great day.